Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Tech Makers, the Ubisoft podcast. I'm David Usher. I'm the founder of Reimagine AI, the artificial intelligence creative studio. And I am the host for um, this series on LaForge, the innovation hub at Ubisoft. On this episode, we're going to talk about forging the future and characters. And I have some very special guests. Uh, could you guys go around the table and introduce yourselves and what you do? Uh, yes, I'm uh, Marc-André Carbonneau. I'm an R&D scientist at Laforge. So I do research for uh, speech and sound, whatever that uh, relates to this. Hey, my name is Raphael Saint-Pierre and I work as an engine programmer. Um, I helped Far Cry 6 ship and um, still doing engine programmer things, which is mostly related to uh, animation and um, engine, and generally speaking, everything that is not gameplay per se. Hi, I'm uh, David Coulomb. Um, I'm at uh, Technology Group, uh, which uh, is a team that uh, basically takes what LaForge is doing and, and industrialize it and uh, make it push it more further uh, with productions and stuff and make it available to everybody. Hi, my name is Ulva Festel, and I'm also an R&D scientist uh, at LaForge Toronto. And my research surrounds animation, so generating animations or um, editing animations. Fantastic. Well, it's, it's nice to meet you guys. I wanted to go through some of the, the general things about LaForge um, because that's what we've been talking about. In, in the first episode, we were really talking about how these two worlds were brought together. And I wanted to know from essentially from the scientific point of view how it is to work with LaForge when you're bringing ideas from science together with uh, a company that really works on product. How is it to bring those two things together, would you say? We, we do mostly applied science. So already there's one step that has been done that we work on concrete uh, science. And I think it's a uh, video games are a very nice place to, uh, at least for a lot of application because we, we get like this virtual playground where we can test many things that uh, would be too expensive or too dangerous in reality. So, so this is a, like, something that will draw people to do science inside games. And then the imperative of doing products and stuff like this, I mean, the company knows that we're doing research. So oftentimes it doesn't pan out okay because it's research. We don't know how to make it. We don't know if we're going to make it. So it's like I think in, in this regard, uh, it, it's kind of like more relaxing. You don't feel the pressure that you would expect uh, from from uh, needing to invent something that will result in a product right away. Did you find the same thing about the, the balance between the pressure of innovative ideas and products? I don't know if I would say the, that there's less pressure. I think the pressure is different. Um, I think in academia, I felt more the pressure of coming up with something, you know, that is very publishable um, and that is very kind of cutting edge versus here, 
I feel the pressure is more like making it as relevant as possible for production okay. and coming up with like not just an idea that is kind of novel and um, kind of falls into some niche in the academic space, but um, kind of really resonates with production and makes sense. So really thinking about the applications as well as the as conceptual. Yes, exactly. Interesting. So what was your initial idea that you brought into La Forge? Did the idea change from its birth to its its journey through La Forge? Mm. I mean, what brought me to La Forge, like in general, was just my love for video games um, and like making games. Um, and I don't think I had any preconceived notions of exactly what projects I want to work on. Um, I'm interested in all aspects of animation generally. Um, but then my ideas for what I want to really research was really when I basically already accepted the job and started like playing specifically games to look for what could be improved. Okay. So I don't think I had an um like an, an idea of what I wanted to research before I joined, but then when I joined I got motivated by what I saw in the game. So I was like this would be really nice to work on. So could you explain in more detail about your prototype choreograph? Um yeah, so choreograph um is a method to kind of make it um make it look more natural uh, how the character moves in the scene uh, when you're steering him through various terrains, etc. And it also reduces the amount of data capture you need to make it look realistic. So let's say you're controlling a character and he should um, run over like, I don't know, like a little hill and down a little valley or up some stairs, etc. And um, all the foot contacts need to be right. Like, uh, you know, you don't want the foot to go through the hill um, and you want the motion to look realistic. So um, what you said earlier um, that, you know, like if you're playing the character you don't want it to just like robotically turn but it should look natural and uh, it should look as if you had mock-up somebody in the studio and I guess it's a way as well to reuse all the data that we shot, you know, at Ubisoft uh, on, on the various uh, games that we did mocap and stuff. And yeah. instead of having to reshoot for all the particular use cases that you really uh, well described, uh, you could, you know, the, the the dream, if I could say, or, or, or the idea behind uh, choreograph is to reuse that data and, and fulfill those or, or resolve those use cases, basically. And uh, and for that, there is a com very complicated method of, pr of predicting... <laughs> <laughs> the future of movement, which I really cannot explain, but you know, it's it's it, you know, it, it allows basically to uh, to reuse this data without any problems, you know, uh, and and with with machine learning and all that, and that's basically what uh, what choreograph uh, achieved, basically. Yeah. So basically, what choreograph does it it looks for um, any of the many frames that we've captured of characters walking over various terrain to fit the current constraints. So currently, your character should be um, you know, a yay and yay foot contact and, you know, in whichever pose he was previously. And you don't have to capture the whole new sequence of this character going over exactly mm -hmm. this terrain. But we have this massive amount of frames where, you know, one of the frames will will blend nicely into the, the constraints that you currently have. So you can basically just blend like from frame to frame. And this exact sequence that you're playing right now is not the sequence that you mocapped, but all of these frames that you're playing have been mocapped. So they all look nice. They're all realistic motion, but you're basically um, recombining them to, um, to play at runtime. 
There's something about it that, um, so not only we, we'll be able to reuse data and not to capture more data that we, we already have, but we can reuse code as well. We had uh, motion matching engines on previous games as well, but it, it was very specific code that, that did what it did, but it was very uh, focused on, on the game that it should. And Kurgaf aims uh, to be more generic and to adapt to whatever uh, game we put it on. So we'll be able to plug motion matching into more games with less effort. And this is a huge gain for pro production as well. Oh, very interesting. Are you able to uh, modify the performance? Uh, yes. So do you mean the modify the, the the animation that is outputted? Yeah. Are you able to are you able to do uh, like modifications on the output? Yeah. Based yeah, on you, you can. Yeah. So you can either tell the model that you uh, want a specific style of animation. Oh, um, so you want like somebody being very angry or being very happy. Um, but other than that, you, you can still uh, let an animator afterwards edit the animation, like they would edit an, a mocap animation. Is it? Is it? Uh, is the I'm very interested in the specifics. Is it? Is the um, the animation that's created uh, programmatic, or is it triggered by tone, emotion, those kind of things? Does that have any influence on? Yes, exactly. So it's mostly driven by the really the tone of the voice, the the prosodic markers of the voice. Uh-huh. So it's not so much the semantics of the, not so much the linguistics of what you're saying, but it's really how you're saying it. Um, where is the emphasis? Um, is there an anger in the voice? Um, so it's taking out these prosodic markers and trying to infer from that what the gesture should look like. So it's more the rhythmic of the gesture that is matched rather than like the shape of the gesture. Oh, that's very interesting. So are you doing um, semantic, uh, like measuring the the kind of emotion, the level of emotion and interpolating that into... Not explicitly. So currently, basically, that's just implicitly um, the model learns it from the speech. Okay. Um, but for sure, you could, you know, add explicitly markers of like, this is this emotion or this is this, you know, semantic meaning. But currently, basically, you just feed the audio and the model through, you know, the you know repetition of seeing this audio with this motion learns to associate um, the Very cool. yeah the relationship. So how is that being implemented into production? Well, uh, yeah. So the idea uh, for us at the, the technology group is really to collaborate with Laforge basically and and take what uh, they are uh, investigating, testing, uh, prototyping, and and you know try to. To, to, to build a bridge really between uh, the productions, the ones that are making games, and then, uh, with, you know, what they are prototyping at La Forge, you know. So, uh, um, so it's, it's basically to uh, really to, to push further the idea, you know, and, and to try to put it in the hands of the, the actual game makers, you know, and, and, and iterate with them and work with them and, and try to really push it forward, basically. Right, so actually put it into into produ- into the yeah. hands of people that are actually using. It. Is it being put in the pipeline right now? Uh, yeah, we're working on it. Okay. <laughs> Good. It's a process. And how is that result? How is it working with the actual people putting it into the pipeline? Is it? It's interesting. It throws up a new kind of uh, like news challenges. Like in academia, when you want to, you know, like have it, like finish the project. You know, it's all about like you know making it like as fancy as possible from the academic point of view. And then for production, it's more like it doesn't need to, you know, 
be like the newest and greatest from like scientific point of view. It just needs to, to work. Yeah, and it doesn't maybe doesn't need as many features, but it needs to be like really clean animation that is output it. Um, and know. it needs to scale as well, I guess. So you know, you don't need necessarily to cover all the use cases that you have imagined, but then you, you know, you apply it to a reality of production, and that's where it becomes interesting as well. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of uh, you build upon that basically. Yeah. Yeah. But the use case might be smaller, but yeah. you want to like really like make that use case like run really nicely like has it been a, has it been a discovery process figuring out the 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 change from the like the academic output to the production output i'm always i'm always fascinated by that because i've worked with universities and and there is a specific mindset of way of thinking about ideas and paper, you know publishing and those kind of things that's very different than production yeah it's for sure different but um it's been adaptive for you but it's been, it, yeah but it's it's really fun i think like to to like not just think in your own head when you're publishing a paper, you know, like oh, how how do I publish this? But you're just talking to production, like what do you need? What do you think? And it's like a cool exchange of like learning how they work right. and they learn how we work. And do you feel? I mean, it's a uh, you know, it's kind of a, in a continuum way, if I could say. Like in university, you, I mean, of course, you you study, you research and stuff, and I, I feel La Forge is a very good playground, basically, to try to apply, you know, uh, research and everything and try to really uh, test it with reality of, of production. And then I guess along the way, you, you go you go closer to productions and closer to really like the actual need of production. So it's kind of a in a continuum, basically. And I feel La Forge is, is in the middle of all that, you know, and it, it's very interesting to build bridges basically between the different worlds. It's satisfying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the interesting part. It's the melange of these two, oh, yeah. two streams that don't necessarily communicate or know how to communicate. Mm -hmm. And then being able to put that into a, a pipeline or a roadmap that actually delivers something is very interesting to me. On the, the text-to-speech side, Marc-Andre, what are you uh, and Raphael, what are you guys working on? Right now we're completing the text-to-speech. Like I've been there for four year and a half. Okay. So, there's like, so, so we did a couple of things. Uh, but uh, now we uh, we we are uh, at a mid maybe not a midpoint but we are uh, arriving somewhere at a destination where we we build this uh, text to speech solution that is uh, conditional conditionable on expression uh, and that is good enough quality so we can I'm gonna put air quotes. I have to say it, but uh, yeah, shippable because yeah. <laughs> it was used in games. It was shipped in some games, so like the quality is is getting good. And now it's uh, available uh, at uh, at Oasis with uh, our friend from the TG and also okay. uh, with our friend from Alice, the, the studio here. Okay. So it's like uh, this big uh, three uh, the collaboration. So this is one of the exciting thing that is happening. Maybe more on uh, like the end of one cycle of one project, but uh, yeah. In text-to-speech, so so what is the actual, uh, if you can get more specific about describing what the actual product is? Text-to-speech, we it has been used, uh, at least here, and I'm pretty sure across the video game industry, to um, to make temporary files while you develop, you, when you are iterating on your narrative content, but also when you debug, to have like something that you, you play. So when you do playable demo... Uh, that there's some voices there and you can see if your dialogue work or if your game work. Um, we had something that was uh, old school, I would say, uh, concatenative uh, technology that sounded like uh, the idea you, you have when having a conversation with uh, your G GPS from the 90s. Um, so, 
So we decided to to see if we could do something that was better, so that it would be easier for people to iterate on their content, narrative content. Um, so the neural networks, the new uh, the new generation of neural networks, made it much much higher quality. So we reproduced this uh, as a starter. And then we realized that uh, it would at some point come near like a human voice. So so we decided to to dream of um, more application, maybe use it in a game, making narrative content uh, iterative in the game, uh, like being uh, de- like dependent on the player experience and everything. So that unlocks a lot of possibility. Uh, but we realized that to do that, we needed much more expressive models. Uh, we needed to be able to generate things that are not uh, words, because like most of the time, like the character will laugh, uh, cry, uh, do some uh, pain uh, on nose and stuff like this. So we uh, and this this is like the the next iteration on the the system uh, is uh, making a system that generate all those things or that. You can choose the way speech will be generated. It's text to speech, but are you so you're you're taking a data set like a, of an actor's voice, and then you're building it into? Uh, are you building the voices, and then the the the, the technology we use it's one uh, it's it's two model for now. The two model that uh, basically go from text to spectrograms, like an intermediate representation, and then uh, produce a wave file, and we train them ourselves. Because we we have our custom voice that we record here, so we've learned in the the research process uh, not only how to model things but how to record. It's not like recording like actual performance. There's a couple of kinks to it. Yeah. So we we we've learned this the hard way and the easy way sometimes. So we do it here and then then we train our own model and then there's this whole uh, deployment cloud deployment. So the the product itself what it does is you choose an actor and then you get like a model that will speak like this person and i guess the the expressive part is that we we go exemplar based so you choose a text that you want this character to say and then you find some example of this person for now this person saying this like with something else with an angry voice and then you say well say this new text with this voice and the model will produce that and we went like this because uh, I think one naive approach to these uh, emotion thing Uh, but first I really hate the word uh, emotion when you you talk to because like uh, speech is much more than just emotion when like I prefer styles like uh, at some point we had to do the voice of an announcer for a game um, and an announcer is not an emotion it's just a way you speak so so there's all these styles and then there's all these even emotions there's so many so many way to be angry and at some point it's, it's very difficult to to decide on a taxonomy agree on it and then have somebody record exactly what you had in mind so so we decide to just let, let's forget about trying to naming things listen to something that is like what you want and we're gonna reproduce this so that's why we go the emplor, uh, exemplar exemplar uh, well oh, that's very interesting so you basically you have a texas texas speech model and then you can use any other kind of input to basically model on yeah Okay, that's, that's awesome. How much data do you guys need? Like how many hours of speech do you need to, to recreate a voice? This we don't know. 
<laughs> we only know uh, that uh, what we do is enough. Okay. But uh, right now there's one ongoing because like we are a team. Like yeah, I, I'm the lucky one who gets to to talk. But uh, we are six in my team, and uh, there is one person right now that is trying to figure out our, our like uh, our little text. How little recording do I need to get the same level of quality? But then all the difficult questions come out, like how do you measure quality in speech? Like you can listen to it, but sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And what do you listen for? Right. Uh, and then once you so, – so right now we're recording uh, four to six hours per okay. person with different styles. But the more styles you put, the more data you need because you want to cover everything. Does the individual need to the individual actor need to record in different styles of voice, or are they are they doing the typical thing you do when you're doing a, a data collection on a voice actor, where they're doing the, the the monotone voice, and then you're and then you're doing the the emotion or the styles afterwards? The, the lines are a bit blurred. We do like a, I, I guess you were referring to the this um, this uh, the Harvard sentences where you get all the diphones. Like the, 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 there's one text that doesn't make sense, but you get to cover all diphones in language. So we do this at first. Okay. So this way we get like uh, all the the phonemes. Uh, well, diphones are phonemes, like units of speech. So yeah. we get example from all of this, and then we we need performances from this person. But um, okay. something I didn't explain because i didn't want to go too much in detail but when we before we uh once once we get like the the data for one person uh we already have like a lot of other persons with a lot of different style and we train a model that is bad at everyone not bad but okay-ish at everyone but not really good and and everything that we learn from the other person we kind of remember it when we do the, the transfer learning, when we fine-tune the new person. So it's difficult to know exactly what we can draw from everyone else and what we need to record. Uh, but definitely when we record, we, we, uh, we sample every different style that we think uh, are uh, important for video games in our context. Interesting. Raphael, can you talk about your role? Oh, yeah, so in, in the TTS context, I think that my experience with what is com coming to play uh, a few years ago, so I was in the Oasis team, and what what you guys are doing with, uh, with um, text-to-speech currently at LaForge is, is really great because beforehand we had to um, say somebody is typing text because they're uh, building dialogues, and, and then they would have to wait minutes or in, in worst cases, uh, much longer for uh, the text-to-speech engine to generate something that sounded really dull and robotic. And then it would go into the game and uh, people, including me, for instance, would play the game. And all we hear are those dispassionate dialogues of robots talking together. And it's it, it's really um, cumbersome. We, we can't get into a game we're developing if all we hear is two robots talking to each other and they don't want to do it but they have to because they're robots so the the fact that you guys are managing to um, build emotion into the voices and to um, expand the, the the universe of what can be said during the game um, with dialogues that are not uh, f uh, set into stone because um, now everyone wants um, dynamic dialogues wherever uh, somebody uh, say something, but this somebody may not be the same somebody for each and every player because they they could have different genders or 
uh, types or whatever that changes the way they say things. And we could not have that with um, TTS beforehand. And now it's it's coming alive. And um, well, wherever we are on the process of it, that's what we're doing. And it's I think it's really helping uh, to um, not only for the final result where we, we, we have something that sounds good, but for the, and the process of getting there where we can experiment with something hear how it sounds and then uh, build upon that, either changing directions or uh, going straight with it. And it's actually moving into production now, is that correct? Yes, it's uh, it's uh, it's available. It's kind of a, let's say, beta alpha phase, but it's built in the, the Oasis uh, release for Oasis Record. So, cool. yeah, it's available. It's, uh, yeah. And yeah. you'll be... Oh, sorry. sorry. Go, no, 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 go. no, no. I was saying, yeah, Oasis is uh, really a tool that manages all the scripts and recordings and, you know, localization as well. So the the, the translation of uh, of dialogues and everything. So uh, and, and as Raphael was mentioning before, the text to speech in Oasis was really robotic and not really good. So now with this new iteration, it will help productions like you were saying, basically to iterate whilst producing as well. So they can see, oh, this is how this scene is going to sound like it's more realistic than a robot voice that, you know, so now it's going to really help the production teams and eventually as well replace maybe voice actors, right? For some some characters, maybe, you know, this is something that we could envision, perhaps. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so now it's it's available for one production, I think, in uh, for Oasis. They are testing the the thing and, you know, like try to iterate basically with uh, with uh, Marc-André's team. Very cool. Right? How, how have you found the, 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 the science to product idea? Like because you've been here, you've been there a long time. Your initial ideas, I guess, it's changed a lot. You've done a lot of projects along the way. Well, a couple, I, a lot would be twenty. Uh, uh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> maybe I, I don't know three or four. Maybe that we we finished, but uh, but it's the relationship between the scientist and the the enterprise is works well because we talked a lot. We in the podcast before this, we talked a lot about the the relationship between these two ideas, really, and come the melange of these two ideas coming together and how we smooth out that pipeline. Yeah, I guess it always uh, it depends how you uh, how you see yourself as an academic. Like uh, to to me, I was just like a engineer that stayed in school longer, <laughs> so I was ready to come back and do uh, like like I I don't know how to say it politely actual stuff. So so to me, it was natural. Sometimes things don't don't go the same way. Like in in our case, we uh, we started by trying to catch up. Like uh, trying to be able to reproduce what uh, Google was uh, doing, and because uh, they are the the were they still are probably the best in TTS. Good, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, they are big teams, and so so for the first year we were trying to catch up, and then we went to this this uh, place where we we were like doing good, and then you realize okay, but they are making like assistant like a personal assistant and personal assistant never get shot uh they they are <laughs> hopefully not that angry yeah <laughs> so there's a couple of things that uh, then you realize okay they, and nobody's going to solve this for us and in the last 2 years then we started after having to do like a going like a a bit further than the state of the art and this is like uh, this is what we're doing now but we started by doing kind of advanced engineering and and now we uh, we arrived to a place where okay well this this will not be solved for us so we have to do it ourselves cool but what would you say is the dream of where you want it to go what you're building 
dream of like, yeah like what's what's the big dream? what's the big you know what i mean yeah like what's the big i like the big yeah. idea the big dream of where you'd like to take it in the future if you if there were no if there was no physics <laughs> <laughs> for me um since my passion is around animation uh for me the the big dream is having this like big open world game where you ha- can have tons and tons of characters that can just be realistically automatically generated. So um, having like diverse characters that like move differently, that look differently, um, that don't, you know, mean that our work hours like, like grow exponentially because you can't hire that many animators, etc. And like, um, you know, the user wants to take a hand and where the story goes. So you don't know it all the time like what kind of character you'll need and how they'll have to react and basically my dream is having this like big like realistic open city where characters really look different they move different they react differently and this can all be you know generated on the fly so to make it really feel like you're in a living space the autonomous metaverse kind of yeah (laughs) but just you know like when you play a video game sometimes i feel that you don't take the characters on the street necessarily seriously like you know they they feel they don't feel like a living breathing um characters to you where you where you kind of want to respect them you don't want to run into them and stuff like they don't really feel like a real person right like i mean you don't really care if your character kind of like you know not just them when they go past like go past them too closely or whatever because you know we don't really feel like they're a real being but if we if can like have them move and look so realistic that you know it makes them part of the story rather than just a, a prop yeah, exactly. And yeah. you really feel like you are a part of the story as well and not just like, you know, looking at some abstract image, but you really feel like this is like a world. Very cool. And on your side, the future, the dream? The dream. The <laughs> dream. I, I, I get the dream of uh, trying to rebuild some sort of reality. But to, to me, uh, I think what I think really cool that in I think would get like more fun for the player is uh, getting tools that makes you think of an idea of a dialogue of anything like an object and making it very fast for you to put it in a game it doesn't to me doesn't have to mimic reality uh, but I, I really like what happens before because we often talk about uh, having these uh, walking chat box that you can talk about anything but when you, you just just go outside and talk to people on the street if that's what you want to do you don't need a video game for this but uh, I, I to me, video games is a vessel to uh, send like art uh, ideas and make something great, and, and this is not like it's something that goes beyond reality. So, uh, I I think everything that we do has tools that uh, help people putting their idea into this three D three D thing world is uh, is I, I guess it's what makes it fun. So my dream is to have. Anything you have in your head, like, let's say, let's go crazy, EEG on your head, it builds a game. Think about it, and it's uh, in 3D. Uh. That's, that's, that's coming for sure. And you guys? Well, I guess I would say my dream is to make your dream realistic, I guess, you know, because <laughs> it's a big task. But, you know, like to, uh, 
well to allow developers basically to uh, to use those great tools and integrate them in their workflows like as seamlessly as possible and i'd say well developer for sure but as well players you know like uh, who could uh, generate uh, voices and and or different animations or you know different behaviors of of characters uh, as they, they they see fit basically in 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 the games uh, so yeah that's uh, exciting basically really Well, my my dream is for the immersion to be always better. I want to relate with the character we are um, we are putting in the game, and I think that La Forge is really into not only giving us tools to to make that happen, but also to to give ideas about what could happen. Uh, for instance, with with choreograph, we um, we wanted Danny, uh, in fact, Rasis, to move around the her play her base. While looking like somebody we could be, I, I want to be Danny walking around. I don't want somebody who's just rotating left and right or moving yet again in a robotic way because making somebody look human while moving around is is hard. But La Force, they're, they're here to do the hard thing of trying stuff, failing, and then finding out what works. And then they just give us give us a box, a toolbox. And, and well, not all we have to do is put it in the game and it works, but it's something that's been refined and it's already done for a long time and with uh, many situations so we know that it can help us move even beyond what we thought would be possible it's the same with uh, text-to-speech where we can experiment with dialogues that actually sound natural it's the same with um, lip-syncing i remember that system that uh, laforge uh, they discovered how to uh, that um, there are not that many mouth movements uh, in the world for any language i think it's uh, between 20 and 30 actual ways the mouth moves so uh, they found out that and and then they gave us a method to map it to the actual dialogues and um, at the moment we integrated it into OS, it, it 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 got really popular in in a moment because at that moment we wouldn't have somebody to painstakingly identify where each word starts and stops and put the words at the exact time for subtitles and, and mouth movements. We, we'd have something do it for us, and then it just works so we can focus on, on going even further. So the science is a way in front of us, and La Forge brings it way closer to us so we, we can discover new universes. It, it's, it, it sounds great and, and beautiful, but it's really what the way I see it. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, guys, um, for sharing everything with us today. And um, I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, David. Thank, thank you, you all. Thanks for joining me on TechMakers, the Ubisoft podcast. Next time, we'll be talking about environments. I'm David Usher, and I'll see you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 